This is Amy Cohen Epstein, founder, president, and executive director of the Lynn Cohen Foundation and The Seam, the series for education and awareness in medicine. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing researchers, doctors, scientists, female founders, entrepreneurs to talk about women's health, wellness, and preventive care. Take a listen. excited to talk to Angela Ross today, a genetic counselor. And I'm going to let you introduce yourself and tell us about yourself and your history. And then we're going to dive into genetics and what that means and how your genetic history and your family history can indicate your risk for, we'll specifically talk about cancers and women's cancers, but I think we'll probably sort of I don't know, our tentacles will reach into other places. But just give us your background. Obviously, you're sort of the medical side of it. And then really, will you just tell us why you got into this and why this is where you've decided to spend your life's work? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'll never forget it, actually. Um, so I grew up in Australia, hence my accent. <laughs> and um, I was studying for my Bachelor of Science in um, Melbourne, Australia. And then I remember it was the second year into the course, a professor of the Murdoch Institute, as in the Murdochs, came to speak about genetic counseling. And I'm like, I love science. I love interacting with people. This sounds amazing. So that then sort of got me on my, on my job career path. And uh, so then I subsequently did the graduate diploma over there. I'm aging myself because they didn't have a master's back then. (laughs) And then, um, and then came over here and did my degree at Sarah Lawrence college. Then I got to work over in the UK for a while in genetics and I used to work in like prenatal and pediatric and but everything has kind of led towards cancer predisposition. So I've I've got um I feel like almost fate in a way it has led me to where I am now. So it's been an amazing experience and I get to do what I love doing is sort of mixing science with interacting with 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 people which I love. Absolutely. Tell us the real importance of a genetic counselor. And what that means, especially for women when talking about what genetic testing and how a genetic counselor is sort of needs to be side by side. So it's things are changing in the science and the testing realm where it used to be very, um, I guess, paternalistic, very regimented in genetic counseling. You know, you'd need to meet with a genetic counselor pre-test you'd then test and you probably would not get the results outside of meeting with a genetic counselor for a second time. But things are now changing. You can get direct-to-consumer testing. You can get other sorts of genetic testing. And genetic testing doesn't just mean a blood test for predispositions. It it could be like a tumour test, right? Genetic testing could be direct-to-consumer health test, like, you know, not necessarily a genetic test, which is what like testing for the mutations in BRCA genes. Mm -hmm. So um, the importance of genetic counsellors, especially now, is that people are having genetic testing outside of having pre-test counselling for whatever reason, and they're not necessarily getting the information they need to sort of understand their reports. They get access to their reports and, you know, we can support uh, these patients in, in sort of expanding the family history, make sure they've had the correct testing or give the correct testing per the assessment. And then, then they've also then got us to, as a resource or as a support 
for them going forward if something's positive and we need to manage their risk and send them to other um, professionals or even if they're negative and they have updates to family histories in the future, things like that. So we're very, a very good support service. But I really just think we're needed now, although because non-genetics professionals can order testing and it's going to happen. We can't stop that from happening. And, um, you know, a lot of patients sort of would benefit from the pre-test counselling, but that's probably almost going away now. But yes. with they, I want people to be aware that there's, there's availability for professionals to talk to you about post-test answers. Even if you get a report and you, it's negative, but you, I actually had that recently, they're like, I just came to see you because I... Think I, I think it's negative, but is it? Because they're getting these lab reports now and they're not sure how to interpret them themselves. So I feel like we've got the expertise to review these with patients um, as well. Okay, so let's take a step back. So there's a couple different avenues I want to go down with you. The first being these sort of tests that you can like order online. So you know, without naming names, the ones where you can see yep. all the different genetics that you carry and, and what mutations you might have and what they might lead to. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's sort of a spattering of information that you, you, you know, you spit into a, a vial or give your hair and then you find out all this sort of information. Yeah. You're at risk for diabetes by 2% or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And like, well, who are you? And, you know, where do you come from? You know, that you can find that out. And then what does that mean? Like, what's the point? And in addition, you know, what kind of genes do you have and, and are there mutations? And that in itself is a very scary word. I think when my kids hear it, they think of one of those Marvel movies where they're going to like turn green at age something you know, or, or spout spider veins that are, they can crawl yep. walls. So, you know, there's that. And so what are your thoughts on those kinds of tests in general? Good, bad, ugly. I don't know. Or maybe they're not, they're neither. They just are. And if they're yeah. out there, we, you know, you've, you've touched on and we've talked about doing those tests alongside some sort of counseling, but what do they mean for an average human? You know, what do they mean for doing them and what kind of information are you, are you meant to gather from them? And then what do you do with it? Like if you are negative, what does that even mean? Negative for what? And yeah. what do you do with that? Negative for celiac? Okay. So then you eat bread, you know, like yeah. let's dig into that a little bit more. Yeah. No, I love that you're asking that question because it's the future of genetic testing. Is there a, is genetic testing out there? Even outside the cancer realm, it's genetic testing. So we all have two copies of every gene, one from our mum and one from our dad, and we've sequenced the genome. Yay! But we don't know what every gene does. So we've sort of got the reference human sequence out there, and then we now can do some genetic testing to see and compare and contrast your sample with the normal, I guess, human, this is what it's meant to be. And we're all going to have changes in our DNA that don't mean anything. And we might have mutations that do present with something. And we're, but we're all different, right? So someone who's of Asian descent, black descent, uh, white descent, Indian, you're going to have different changes, but it doesn't mean it affects the gene or what it does. So you have to be very careful when you're reading these reports, whether it's a real variant that's going to do something or could predispose or if it's just a, a bit, what we call a benign polymorphism. So if you go broad with some of these tests that they do, I think um, at some of these direct-to-consumer health tests, I'm going to get to that in a second, you've got to be careful about what data you're getting and exactly what are you going to do with it? What are you doing it for? So let me kind of break it down to this because I was thinking about this a lot lately. 
So there's direct-to-consumer, like, for health, right? So there are these labs that are um, advertising. You could see um, if, you're, if you've got slow-twitch fibres or something for running and if you're healthy for this or what you said, if you're at risk for diabetes. And they gather that information and whatever they report, they report. And I'm not a physician, so I actually don't know how to interpret a lot of those and I don't know what the use is or how someone will use that to their benefit, but people are doing it, right? And then you have labs that do either a mix of that with Ancestry uh, or just do Ancestry, you know. So there's Ancestry tests out there, which people are finding very helpful and useful just for family history. It's very interesting. But the genetic tests that are also available when it comes to familial um, things and familial risks, and it's not just in the adult world, it could be paediatrics or prenatal, where people are offered genetic testing to see if they have a genetic change, a variant, a mutation that is going to present with something in the future or is is it you're predisposed to something and then what do you do with that information and then there's tumor genetic testing now where patients who actually have cancer often will have a tumor profile done looking at their genes and that's more ordered by the doctors to direct treatment options possibly to see Mm. if someone's had cancer that's recurred or metastasized or are they likely to respond well to certain chemotherapies so that test is often ordered by physicians in the treating realm but then it overlaps with genetics because when they're doing the testing they don't filter out what is the familial gene mutation so they're basically taking some tissue that's cancerous looking at the gene if there's gene mutations right so they're looking at but they're looking at basically every single cell of your body. So they might report a mutation in gene XYZ, which is seen in breast cancer patients, but that a mutation in BRCA1 in that tumour is not familial. It's tumour and it was part of the tumour development, but they don't report that. They don't know because they're not reporting about that. They're reporting about what the tumour looks like. So they don't tell you if the mutation is in BRCA1 or BRCA2 in this particular report, or um, what's another one, APC, or other genes, they report all the mutations in the genes, but people sometimes get panicked and go, I've got a BRCA1 mutation, but you've got to look, this is where we can guide you because you've got to see, well, does that test split up, whether that is a genetic mutation that is germline, in other words, familial, or is it just part of the tumour development? Yeah. just in the tumour. And that's where you have to determine that. So it's getting very complex these days yeah. reviewing these reports. And so, and the more we know, the less we know. So the more we know, the more information I feel like we're finding out. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Yeah. So I feel like the more we know, the more that we're finding out. And what I want to do, take a step back and let's assume that some people don't know all of the and names and initials we're throwing out there, right? And so this helps a lot when we're talking about cancer and genetic mutations. So let's talk about BRCA and then a lot of, those are the most well-known BRCA1, BRCA2, and a bunch of the other genetic mutations that we do know about. So will you just give us sort of a, a cheat sheet on those and what they mean and what they indicate for women in particular? Now that we've the technology's gotten better, we've identified many genes linked with familial risk for cancer. Um, and I'll start now start talking more cancer versus other things, just so yeah. that we're on the topic. And then again, the genes that we're discovering, it's not just BRCA1 and 2 anymore. There are other genes that have been identified that predispose to breast, ovarian, and other cancers, and they're gene-dependent risks. And so I guess we're smarter, the technology's gotten better. And the testing can be quicker as well. 
but it's a lot of information and some people are very knowledge is power and I do actually believe that now and things have changed you know in our um, area where we as I said we were paternalistic kept it very close we're very are you okay with this result which we still do now but then instead of sort of giving people the option to opt out of testing or looking for mutations in genes that we can manage their risk we're more sort of less look, you know, informate, this is good information for you to know. They can still opt out of certain testing, absolutely, but that's where the discussion comes into play. You know, do you want to know if you're at risk for, you know, a syndrome called Leaf-Romini syndrome, which is a mutation in a TP53 gene, which is actually very commonly mutated in lots of tumours and it's not familial. So, you know, there's so much to understand. And without slides, it's hard because I'm, I'm going to, I can give you the names of genes, but you know, the main ones that we think about now with ovarian cancer would be BRCA1 that a lot of people have heard about, BRCA2, PALB2, RAD51C, RAD51D. What else are we looking at there? We're looking at ATM. And that, you know, there are other genes that are going to be identified that provide risks, not certainty, risk for developing cancer over someone's lifetime. And it's it's not 100% most of the time, but it's it's a risk. And then how do you manage that risk? But importantly, what I'd like to say, if, if you'd like to include this in, in is um, I also think the lingo between patient and doctor or healthcare professional, people should be aware of the way information is presented. Because I have had genetic testing can mean many things. Like you could have had a tumor profile testing done. Patients don't realize they haven't had a proper clinical familial test. Like the data is in there, but you have to take it out. I've had genetic testing. They send a, I won't use names of companies from a, an ancestry place, right? Or a, um, other t- a health healthcare gene test. That's genetic testing, right? right. So it's very, it's, you've need to understand that there are different tests and you may not have had the right test for you and we need to just at least inform patients what they've had and explain it because it's complicated. I mean, people don't do this all the time like we do, so it's not surprising. And then the other thing that is uh, something that is uh, it's not, it doesn't help on television is when they say, I've got the BRCA gene, right, and, and I've got the BRCA1. Everyone has BRCA1 genes, BRCA2 genes, as I said, each from one from mum, one from dad. But what people are talking about when they're talking about risk and and management, it's whether you have a mutation or a change in those genes that you've inherited from your mother or your father that predispose you to risk. So I'd love to get these television programs to get someone to consult with them and say, you know, just make it a bit clearer what you're talking about, because, you know, it's it's just good, better understanding, I think, of what's going on. It's just a little, a minor thing, but it's important to know that there can be changes in genes that you could identify that are inconclusive. They're called variants of uncertain significance. And that's another reason often people are sent to us now post-test, because the people who order the test don't understand what it means. And we've got the resources and the knowledge to tease it out, take the family history. Is it significant? What does it look like? things like that. And to your point about a negative test, and I think we spoke about this when we first sort of met over the phone, is even a negative test, while it can be great news to families, if you've got a really strong family history, there may still be recommendations to do certain things to manage risk because we don't know everything. And if there's a striking family history of, say, over, we'll talk about female ovarian and breast cancer, Um, in families, like striking to the point where we're like, I can't believe we didn't identify something. 
you're going to be provided high risk recommendations regardless. And you don't want to miss those people. And so, yes, I'm negative, you know, which is, again, is great. But you want to make sure the right person was tested because if someone in the family hasn't had cancer but their mother passed away of breast cancer at 30 and they did a test and it was negative, we don't know that mum had a mutation to begin with and what that was. And if you're negative because you were going to be negative because mum didn't have a mutation or you were 50, it's a 50-50 chance you would be negative anyway. So it's all about context and assessment and it all pulls together. So I guess the summary really would be a genetic counsellor provides or genetic professional provides a cancer risk assessment based on a detailed family history. And we do like patients. I know they they push back a lot sometimes because it is, depending on family dynamics, it's hard to get. But know your family history. Try and get ages of diagnoses. Try and confirm the cancers in the family. Like something that's very striking is, you, you know, a cousin had um, ovarian cancer at 45 but then you say, could you get a pathology report? And it was cervical cancer, hmm. not taking away the diagnosis of an, an impact of cancer at all, but from a risk assessment, that takes that concern off the table, right? Right, And that, that can be more reassuring to someone. And then also confirming, confirming all cancers is always um, helpful, but we can't always get that, so we deal with what we can. But family histories are important, so if anyone is, is asked to complete a questionnaire, please do because it really helps us determine whether insurance will cover testing, what you might need, and then we'll always talk to you as well and gather information as time goes on. So then after the genetic risk assessment, we either test or review testing that's been done, make sure the testing is complete. Um, Say someone comes to me and they had testing back in 2005. I'll, I'll be like, oh, you have to, depending on the family history, most likely please update your testing. And so we need to know the dates of these reports. So get a copies of these reports just to see, because years ago it was just the Jewish panel, the BRCA1 and 2 Ashkenazi Jewish panel. There are three mutations in BRCA1 and 2, just in case people aren't aware. There's two changes in the gene in BRCA1 and there's one in BRCA2. And they're just it's more prevalent in the people of Eastern European Ashkenazi Jewish ancestry. Mm-hmm. So those are the three, because they were sort of more common, they were the ones that were kind of researched first. But then we've obviously expanded and we have other many people, you know, are, everyone's at risk, unfortunately, for BRCA mutations. But we've got a lot of data and research on the BRCA genes now and we can manage people's risk. And it's very personal. It's very individual discussions that we have. We don't we try not to just put people in a box if we can avoid it. But there's a lot more um, positivity in respect to if you developed cancer, is there a targeted drug? that could help you. You know, there's def- there's these targeted therapies now that are, are proving to be to be great. God forbid you get cancer. It can lead to, you know, cascade testing for family members and we, we sort of can help coordinate these for family members. Um, we can either recommend a genetic counsellor. We've got the National Society of Genetic Counselling has a find a counsellor link. So if you're not, I, I like to see my families when possible, but if someone lives in San Francisco or in L.A., then they can meet with a local genetic counsellor and, and get, you know, get someone um, to look at it properly who's seen these your reports before. And just to be aware that there are other genes now. And so if anyone who's listening to this had testing back in 2005, 2015, never hurts to review the report and just see if, if things have updated or if anything's changed in the family history, just to see if, if there's change in recommendations. Yeah. So it's walk me through it a little bit more in depth. So let's say a woman like myself, my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer at 48 years old. She passed away at 53. 
She tested negative at, I mean, this was 1998 when she died, 1993 when she was diagnosed. So her testing was done, I mean, mid nineties. I don't know exactly when, and I don't know what she was tested for, to be honest. Right. I mean, we were always told I'm, she was negative for a BRCA mutation. What would you, and I know what I've done, but let's assume I've done yeah. nothing. Yeah. What would you recommend for me and my two sisters? My older sister, we're all the same mother but my older sister has a different father. 25 years later in 2023, uh, let's say we had testing done early 2000. Yeah, the modernization, the the update discussion. So in uh, the genes were discovered in about 93, 94. And I know that, um, uh, again, we were offering uh, the Ashkenazi Jewish panel, which I think you guys are are, in Europe. So it's most likely she definitely, your mum had definitely had that testing. Mm -hmm. And that might, if it was that long ago, that might've been the only testing she'd done. Back then, I don't know if they were doing additional testing because we've learned so much more information. So if you came to me with that family history and that information, I would try and get a report to see what was done, but recommend update testing via a more expansive panel, you know, that includes breast ovarian cancers um, as it pertains to the rest of the family history. And depending on family history, sometimes we add on random genes because you've told me someone had ocular cancer, which there's a gene called BAP1, very rare. But I've picked someone up on on that in a family history, so we're able to do that risk assessment. So what is main... ocular can is ocular cancer related? Oh, eye ocular melanoma, eye mel- el- melanoma, cancer in the eye. But that's not unrelated to a breast to an ovarian. No, not related to ovarian. Yes, yeah. absolutely. But what I'm saying is, if we if you saw me and I took a family history and we said well, we'll definitely have to update the BRCA, make okay. sure you've had complete screening, right? And do the rest of the breast ovarian genes as it pertains to the risk of because of your mum. Yeah. But it's not just ovarian. There could be other things in the family right. that might lead us to adding or changing the testing that some people are going to be missed um, if they're not, you know, if they're testing maybe at other other places or maybe not because a lot of these panels now have pretty much every gene and genes I haven't even heard of in some yeah. of them. But definitely update the testing and make sure that there isn't a gene that's been missed that could be important to determine in the family. And that's probably not going to happen often. But I've definitely had families come back and they've had like a BRCA1 mutation and then a TP53 mutation in the family. Which is which what? Which is the, that Lee-Fromini syndrome, which can involve breast cancer, not ovarian cancer much, but more very early breast cancer, leukemias, lymphomas, brain cancers. It's a very tough syndrome, but we now have management strategies for patients with this syndrome. So we manage those risks and, and direct them to the best um, doctors or services that they need to do to reduce their risk of developing cancer. And what is your take on sort of a, like a preemptive strike with genetics and finding mutations in your body, as opposed yep. to learning about your family history and knowing yep. and, and looking into it and saying, oh, I think I'm at risk for this because my mother passed away young or, you know, yep. I have four grandmothers or four grandfathers that all had testicular cancer, you know, as opposed to, I have no idea what my family history is. I don't care. I'm not going to bother with that. I just want to know everything that could possibly happen in my body. And I want yep. to like figure it out in my, at 22 years old and then like know everything. What's your, as a counselor, what is your, what's your take on that? Uh, that's a really, really good question because, you know, again, back to aging myself, back in the day, we were very strict about not testing young people for BRCA1 mutations, you know, like um, in the teens or 20s, if there wasn't a family history, because, you know, that was scary. But they're young. There was a lot of very rules around testing yeah. for mutations and if you didn't know about it. But now, you know, and also 
we would only really recommend testing an affected family member. So we yeah. probably wouldn't have tested you, Amy, yeah. if um, you, you came to us, if your mum was with us, we wouldn't have tested you and tested her because that gives you context. Because if you're testing the person in the family with a young cancer with a particular gene, say BRCA or one or two or another mutation in one of those genes, you get a better assessment because if they're negative, then you're likely to be negative and maybe there's something else going on, but we haven't identified it yet. But it's sort of gone away from that now where we do test unaffected family members. I mean, we recommend to test family members that are affected if possible, because again, if you've got a negative test, there could still be a mutation and you didn't inherit it. So I I think, and we just have to think of the future, the luxury, so to speak, of genetic counsellors being able to hold back results and share them, especially with the younger ones that I do see. Patients have been tested at 19 for BRCA1 and a ATM mutation that was totally unnecessary, but you know, it happens, it's going to happen. So then it's a case of making sure they've got the right resources. They're ready to hear the results. Who can they be in with? We can't really stop that anymore. There's also the CARE Act that's just come. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard of the, if you heard of the CARE Act that Mm -hmm. just sort of came into play where now the ability for us holding back results is now not possible. Um, So basically, you know, you, as soon as results are signed out, you'll get them at the same time as your doctor. So I've started preparing patients for that just to know I have no control. If you want to open them, do, and then call me or, you know, you contract with them to see how they want their results. They're adults, most of them. So it's like, you know, it's up to them. And I've had patients who said, no, 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 I want to speak to you. We'll open them together or, you know, and that's just the way, the way sort of it is. But I definitely feel like it depends on the context, but testing a 20 year old who doesn't know anything about the family, not adopted, like say there's got a lot of family members, but is 20 and just is very anxious and wants to have a genetic panel run for cancer or for whatever reasons, I mean, they can get it. They should sort of speak to a genetic counselor first to get context and understand why we wouldn't necessarily recommend that because there's the risk of uncertain variants that we don't do anything with. And that that may pay if they're so worried at 20 for something that isn't really indicated, that might not be good for them. Right. And then if there's a gene associated risk, if they're like, if it comes up at 50, their risk and they're 20, there's nothing that we're going to do for them until at least 30, for example. But we're not going to, you know, we we listen to patients. We don't sort of deny patients care or testing. And in fact, I've gone to the point where look, insurance isn't going to cover it. We consider this low risk. You can get testing. If the doctor that I'm working with agrees, we could try and get it covered by insurance, but it's probably not going to be covered. Or you can um, find a direct-to-consumer lab that is a good lab, and we do have names of some, but I won't use them, that do clinical germline uh, familial testing for cancer predisposition genes. I know one has a panel of over 60 genes on there, so a lot of those genes are not relevant, but some of them will be. And then the results will come back, and then they can meet with the genetic counselor and review them. Either they've self-paid because cheaper, like $250 now to do some of these tests, um, especially if it's not covered by insurance. And, you know, I think we have to embrace that. And I want to be there for patients who get these tests outside because it's, it is all about interpretation and looking at the family history. And look, if we have patients who are adopted and develop cancer and we have to kind of just wing it, you know, and sort of see what we should be doing. So, but, you know, the important thing also is most cancer is not familial. Most cancer does occur by chance. Yeah. But I know with your family and, you know, if you see young cancers and multiple family members, it never hurts to meet with a genetic counsellor or specialist to get a view or a take on it and to give you perspective of what it means or what they might. Absolutely. And you're making, you're going to make these huge decisions based on this idea of a potential mutation in your body. And 
you know, men and women and speaking for women, you know, if you find out you're at a significantly increased risk for ovarian cancer, breast cancer, I mean, I have had women in their, you know, before they've decided they're single in their twenties and, you know, they wanted, they want to get married or they want to have kids. And they're, you know, are talking about major surgeries to, you know, combat, take away my ovaries before I get ovarian cancer. And it's, you know, these are life-changing decisions and. But they're real. And they're like, you know, you can't take away. I always say, look, I'm talking to you clinically, but I can't take away your anxiety that your mother passed or was diagnosed at 45. Because I bet at that age, when you got at that age, that was a scary time for you, you know, because it's family and family history. And we try and, um, you know, let them know what their options are and what's realistic and what isn't and send them on to the right physicians to make those decisions. You know, do they want to have a mastectomy in their 20s? depending on the family, you know, is it unreasonable or reasonable, whatever they want to do, but they can't breastfeed. You know, there's things about that that have to be talked about. But if they, look, if their mother had ovarian cancer at 30, for goodness sake, which is very rare, but can yeah. happen, I don't blame it if someone young wants to consider, what can they do? And we yeah. probably wouldn't take up the ovaries, but you might, you could consider the fallopian tubes or something. Yeah. But meet with a specialist who would talk them through those sort of concerns. Because I think immediately they get all, you get all anxious and worried, which is absolutely fine, normal, but it's all about getting things into, into perspective and understanding that even though we might say, oh, you're negative, you don't have a mutation, but mom had ovarian, I would like my ovaries out anyway. You know, there's there's so many things that can come into the discussion that we have to take into account the, the individual discussion. It's not just, okay, you're negative, great. Don't worry about it. You know, it, it's not that anymore. It's, no, we take, definitely we not. We like to speak to people about, you know, how they feel about it and it's okay to feel like that, you know? Yeah. 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 And I think going through it without a genetic counselor is just, I mean, it's just torturous. I just don't, I just, I just, it's just horrible. (laughs) I just don't, it it just kills me that people do that. And so many people don't know it's an option. Yeah. It's, it's it's hard to understand because I do it all the time. And sometimes I'm thinking, oh, people know about this. I'm like, no, no, no. This is why I'm speaking to people is because I, you know, because in different areas have different accesses to different resources. Right. And so there might be areas, there are areas in the country that don't have genetic counselors very close you know, but now we've got remote genetic counsellors. There's companies that do remote phone calls. Some of the labs do provide genetic counselling on the phone if you do a direct-to-consumer. A lot of the time that happens, but then they like to come to um, in person to meet with someone at a cancer hospital or a cancer genetic um, centre to get more clarity or to, to get a real family history done. Because the thing that, I, uh, that that's, again, have to embrace these panels and genetic testing and the way things are going but you've got to be aware that they're kind of fishing if you're offering a big panel from a lab yeah. that they've been at, that someone's come and, you know, from a certain lab, great labs, but come and advertise their services. And someone says, oh, we've got a family history. Let's do this panel. And then it's a panel of, they just decide to do the whole kit and caboodle, the whole panel of 80 genes, for example. And then with no sort of understanding, there could be something inconclusive. Half the genes don't mean anything, but, you know, they have it in, in the, in the, just have it and the results come back and then the doctor says oh I don't know what to do go to genetics you know and look it's going to happen that way but we are there for you people for you guys out there um if you need us at all because um I'm advocating for patients I want to make sure they understand what's going on and it is it is the future it's their right if they want to go and have these tests but it's again it's all about context I guess and I I just get so worried that people are going to miss 
something like you know if they take don't take a strong family history and there's not a gene that's been added and you know but that's my my anxiety a little bit sometimes because patients are pretty cool with genetics now but it's the ones that with the positive results or the inconclusive results that obviously get alarmed and it's it takes a lot of time to get into genetics now unaffected sometimes to get in to see a genetic counsellor so that's just adding to the anxiety is waiting to meet with someone after the fact as well. And like we said, there's the more information that we find, the more we find. And so it's a lot. And, you know, I've been in rooms with very highly educated people who you know, don't know what we're talking about. And, you know, it doesn't mean that they're, they're not knowledgeable. That's just, this is not their sphere of it, you know, knowledge. So they don't know what we're talking about. And so they need to, you know, learn about it and to understand. And, and also family history in itself is very it's very tricky and not everyone is forthright with their own bodies and what they experienced or talking to their children about it or the way it's documented, you know, so you can have great grandparents who died of something, but you know, who knows what that was, you know, they yeah. something in their stomach, you know, or it, the way it was passed down orally through the generations. And so it's very hard yeah. to know and it's very hard to, to remember. And it's very hard to say. And, and people don't it's family dynamics, right? Oh, I'm new, I don't want. I don't speak to my sister. Yeah. I don't want to ask. You yeah. know, it's it's it's. And I, so I do try to encourage patients to find out as much as possible. But like, look, don't stress. But it is going to help us at the yeah. end of the day. But it's it is. There's so many complex things, and I don't know how many um, of non-genetics doctors who are ordering these big panels. How much of a family history they take? Right. It's enough probably just to understand, like you know, oh, early onset cancer. Let's test. But, you know, there should there needs to be probably more of a, a, a broader a look in theory, but it's it's the way that things are going. But I would just love for people to understand that there are genetic counsellors out there available, be it on the telephone or even the labs that are doing the testing can likely provide it if you're not getting the, the answer from your physician who will likely refer you anyway to a genetic specialist if you, um, you know, if something comes up or if they're not sure that a negative result is you know, they should still be doing something even they have a negative result, such as extra breast screening if they've got a strong family history. Yeah, definitely. And there's so much trepidation. You know, there's, I think you have a, a very large part of the population, especially nowadays, that wants to know everything, you know, that are wearing aura rings and have on their Apple, you know, on their phones, and they want to know everything going on in their bodies at all times and how much they slept and what their resting heart rate is. I mean, they want to know every single piece of information. And then you have a huge part of the population wants to know nothing. They just want to live their life and go through it. And whatever happens, happens. And then there's, I guess, a big part that falls somewhere in between. I mean, I found most people I found are very happy with gaining information, but we definitely have patients who are like, oh, I, I don't want to know that. I want to know the minimum which is fine. But a lot of people are very open to these more tests because information's power. I want to know more. But you still have to address the people that aren't okay with that as well yeah. and how hard it is within the family. It breaks my heart when I hear that like a cousin had a mutation tested for years ago and didn't tell right. the side of the family until they got ovarian cancer. It's yeah. happened. And I'm like, oh, this just upsets you so deeply that you just didn't share the information. Yeah. And also that sense of, I mean, Knowing beforehand, if you're going to go through testing and you're going to meet with a genetic counselor, you know, making a, some sort of decision beforehand within yourself, if I'm going to go down this road, what am I going to do with the information? You know, and, and I even remember for myself, 
I think it was my second child. I was going to have an amnio and I had a, a genetic, I had a, a, um, what was it called? I had a weird CBS? thing with my pregnancy. No. Uh, and I remember my, a do- I was living overseas and a friend's dad is a doctor. And I asked him, I said, well, should I have an amnio? And he said, only if you're going to do something about the pregnancy, if you get information that, you know, you're, is less than optimal. Otherwise don't, you know, because you have to fly overseas and the whole nine yards. And I was like, oh, I have to really think about that. And so I, it stuck with me my whole, you know, for he's now 17 yeah. years old, but it stuck with me because I was like, you know, there's some information that you, you sort of have to decide ahead of time. What am I going to do with that information once I get it? Because if I'm not really going to do anything with it, then what am I going to do? And who am I going to tell? Yeah. And then I have to yeah. like sit on it and hold it in yeah. and it's going to affect more than me. So I don't know. I, and I, I have seen that too. Yeah, no, well, that comes into play a lot. Like, so there's a syndrome called Lynch syndrome that mm-hmm. people, it's actually more common than hereditary breast ovarian cancer, which, which is mutations in the BRCA1 and 2 genes that does predispose to uterus cancer, ovarian cancer, colorectal cancer mainly, there are five genes, and depending on the gene, there can be less or more risks. But we're finding more patients are being identified with these through panel results, which is considered a good thing, right? But then some of these, like we're literally finding, you would look on paper and you never would have added those genes if you, you know, if you didn't. So there's there's that side of it that we're probably catching some people that we wouldn't have done before. But then, as you said, it's like, what are we going to do with information? Like, and honestly, some of these panels, and I've been doing this for over 20 years, the genes on there I haven't heard of. And I thought I was pretty up to date. And I'm pretty up to date with, with things. And it's a lot of that's kind of, you know, they're probably researching the gene, which eventually might come to do something. But um, as long as they're aware that that's out there and if something comes up inconclusive, it could change in the future. It could go up to be more significant. It could go down as benign. So things like that can change. What you were talking about with what we do with the information is when I speak to the younger adults, like kids 18 to 25 or even up to 35 who haven't yet had their children or planning on it, et cetera, it's like, okay, there is this mutation in, in a gene that predisposes you to breast cancer. Um, say, we'll say there's a gene called ATMs. Let's mm-hmm. use the ATM gene. The ATM gene provides an increased risk for breast and pancreas cancer, mm-hmm. but later than the BRCA genes. So if an if a, if a nineteen year old comes and says, "Oh, mum's got an ATM mutation, and I'd like to test for it," it's like, "Okay, we could test you for the mutation, but what are you going to do with that now? When you're at high school, you're at you're at college, you've got you got to live life. You know, there's not uh, again. I'm, I can never say that you're never going to develop breast cancer, but it's not a fully penetrant gene. There's you're not destined to get breast cancer or other cancers linked. So you just think about it. Think about what how you'll sit with that." And come back to us in a couple of years if you want to sit on it. That's okay. And, you know, make sure the doctors are on the same loop as well. And it, there can be different layers to that depending on the family. But generally um, that's the discussion I have with the younger ones if it's not at the right time. And even for BRCA, and again, individually, but, you know, you're not going to be doing breast m- mammograms before 30. Right. You might do MRIs, but in a 20-year-old, what do you do? And sometimes that comes down to like, you know, family history and the team works together. We work very closely with our colleagues in the breast team and figure out individually what that person has to do. But if you're going to sit on a result because you don't need to have anything done for 10 years, how's that going to be for you for exactly what you sort of said? And sure, yeah. we'll te- and I say now, like, I don't want someone to test outside of a genetic counsellor you know, because back, back in the day, we'd, we'd say, no, not going to test you or someone, a mother who just gave birth to a child who's got like a, um, say, BRCA 
mutation. I want to test my child, right? And it's like, no, <laughs> no, no, there's no need to test the child. Nothing. That's an, it's their autonomy when they get older. But as a parent, you know, it's hard. And we were very strong about that. And I think we'll be strong about that now. And that's a, a, a sort of a, what am I trying to say? It's sort of a, um, an extreme, an extreme example. But look, anyone can get testing. If you want to get testing, obviously you spit in a cup and you find a lab that does testing. But what we like to know is that you're testing at a, a good lab that's clear certified. That we recognize it. We've had some reports from labs we're not, we've never heard of before. We're not sure. Mm. These direct to consumer labs that report that they're allowed to report just the AJ Ashkenazi Jewish BRCA mutations, right? But they're not allowed to do other. I don't think there's many other genes they, they're allowed to report out. So people have to understand that that's all they're getting. They're not just because that's negative. It doesn't mean they've had a full screen for that if it's indicated. Additionally, with a lot of these direct-to-consumers, I'm preparing a presentation, so it's in the front forefront of my mind, is that a lot of patients are trying to get what we call the raw data from these, these direct-to-consumers so they can go to these programs out there and, and comes up with, I can't, it's gobbledygook, <laughs> but it, it looks like when they read this report, oh, my gosh, I've got two BRCA mutations and I've got two BRCA2 mutations. Like it's because it, they're reading it and they think, you know, they don't know how to interpret it. And then they bring it to us and we're like, no, <laughs> like let's test you clinically in a clinical lab. So, but it's going to happen. You know, we have to, we're not going to make you feel bad for doing it. It kills me. <laughs> it kills me. I hate yeah. that. Makes me so upset. Yeah. It's out of context. It's just, yeah, it's, um, it is. I just, I do think knowledge is power, but everyone's not that way. And it's, it's, it's everyone's choice and we'll respect that. But I think it's all about informed choice and if it's not going to come pre-test which again is likely what's happening in the future and some people will ask for it to be offered for it but some people will just do it we will still see you regardless we don't take it against you if you've done your own testing you know or anything like that we're there for you and I mean I, I, I want to do some local community presentations where I am in New Jersey to the doctors to get them to have a better understanding of what they're ordering mm -hmm. and testing because I had a gynecologist tell one of my patients that Lynch syndrome wasn't linked with uterus cancer, was linked with breast cancer, <laughs> which is like, no. And, <laughs> and it was a gynecologist. So I'm like, that's where the mis and it's misinformation getting and social media. It's educating everybody. It's educating the medical community. It's educating everybody. It's educating men, women, and, and everyone. And that's really important. So it is part of your job. <laughs> and also, yeah. And also if, if you don't know, you don't know, and you're better off saying that than saying something to someone. Because when I spoke to this particular patient, she, we'd spoken before and I ended up getting her appointment pushed up because of that interaction. Because although this ultrasound looked negative, I showed it to a doctor, you know, I'm like, well, you shouldn't be told that. No, you need to go and meet with the doctor and get, be told the right information. Yeah. But, and look, it's not everyone and it's not, doctors are amazing. Don't get me wrong. But as you well, know, not all of them are. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's they don't know why they're ordering testing. A lot of the time when they're ordering the tumour panels, it's, you know, they don't have time to determine is it familial or not, and that's where we come in and work as a team. When when do you see a genetic counsellor when you get a tumour test? And that's another thing we're trying to figure out because there's going to be a lot of these tumour analyses done, which is so much for the benefit of the patient, as I said, for targeted therapies, et cetera. But there's also, depending on the test, and most labs do not split off the germline result to the somatic. So you need to figure out, oh, is there a familial mutation? And that's what we do. We investigate and we look and we get the reports and we yeah. we test clinically if need be, um, yeah. you know, and do all of that. 
Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much. I think it's women in particular, because that's my area of expertise, is being their own best advocate, which includes putting a team together who are knowledgeable and will get them through any sort of process from, you know, if they're healthy all the way, God forbid, if they're not, to helping them find the right results and working with the best team possible. And you're incredible. You're so knowledgeable. And we're so grateful that you took the time to talk to us. Obviously, I could sit and talk to you for hours and hours. I know. I feel like I could talk to you forever too. But importantly, to your point about advocacy, that's a really, I did want to touch on that because I become very interested in that because I'm noticing a lot of doctors don't understand that what they see every day is like, oh, fine. Yet it if that patient's seen them and there's there's a there's a like a nodule, they hear nodule and the doctor's like da 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 da, and they don't understand that that that's you know what, what does that mean? And they get nervous and don't ask questions. So my big thing to people, I say even my friends and anyone I'm talking to, is write down any questions you have. The doctor's there for you. You're not going to bother them. You're not affecting them. You have to know what you're. If you're concerned about what they said, try and see what, if it was framed differently or you heard it differently that happens all the time never assume this is a big thing and and never assume your genetic report got to the doctor I would always keep copies of everything take everything with you the resources are there for you ask for them if you're not given them you know but definitely advocate for yourself you know your body you know you know your you what's wrong for you in like they say with ovarian cancer it's not a silent disease it's subtle And you know what's wrong for your body. So anything that's unusual after um, three weeks, you know, because, again, it's it's not laughable, that's the wrong word, but when you look at the signs for ovarian cancer, every woman has had issues of constipation, diarrhea, bloating, you know, (laughs) pains. It's like, oh, my gosh, but if, if that continues more than what's normal, push for the doctor. You know, you have to know and push for it. And if that doctor tells you there's nothing wrong, then leave and go see someone else. Exactly. 100%. 100%. I just had coffee two weeks ago with this incredible woman. I mean, she is so smart and so successful. And she spent a year and a half with a doctor who told her there was nothing wrong. And she has stage four ovarian cancer. And it is just heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And I had to hold myself back and say, what the hell were you doing? And, you know, there's... A diploma on the wall and there's someone who is seemingly knows you and has looked at you and has checked you out and is telling you there's nothing wrong and you know there is something wrong yep. you've got to yep. get up and yep. leave you just have to it's so hard it's so hard but it's hard. no one's going to do the right like questions to ask right you know if you I can I've guided so many of my friends now and said no no I, I'm not a doctor but you're being run around these doctors because we're not getting an answer let me speak to someone and you've got to know the right questions to ask and then but also don't be afraid to ask them there's no silly question not when it comes to your own body and your health no and when you know something you know when something's wrong you know when you're being a little crazy, but you also know when something is fundamentally wrong. Absolutely. And yep. you can't take no for an answer. You just can't. So, you know, and if you are being crazy, who the hell cares? I mean, you know, yeah, who cares? Exactly. So uh, honestly, push call if you don't and no, also never assume when you're calling to make an appointment that someone got the message. Call no. every day. <laughs> of course. Don't assume anything. Never, never. Well, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. I really appreciate this. We will definitely talk again. Thanks for having me. And you're amazing. Thank you so much. I'm so happy we have this connection. Julie is the best for putting us together. Thank you so much. 